welcome back to Tiny Green Chats. I'm your host, Kate DeLeon, and I'm here with my co-host, Jazz Jackson. Today, we are joined by a very special guest, Eliseo Navarez from Five Gyres. So, Eliseo, if you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and what Five Gyres is. Yeah, um, thank you so much for that lovely introduction, Kate and Jasmine. Um, I'm so happy to be here. My name is Eliseo, and I am the education coordinator for Five Gyres. And I'm currently running and developing all the educational material that are that is being provided for a lot of schools within Los Angeles County. Could you please elaborate on what Five Gyres is and your mission statement? Absolutely, yeah. I am the education coordinator for Five Gyres, and Five Gyres is an organization trying to fight the plastic pollution crisis that we find not only here in the States, but all around the world. So we work to provide different studies surrounding different plastics, the plastic production industry, fossil fuels, and also tying that to educational programs and awareness programs throughout Los Angeles County and throughout various partnering organizations. So is there a specific moment in your life, or let me put it this way, why did you decide to join Five Gyres and how did you end up here? That's a very interesting question. So I kind of stumbled upon this job out of opportunity. I started off as a marine biology student and then in, in Santa Cruz, I worked for various organizations, aquariums, nonprofits, mostly just doing like a naturalist position or educational programs. And due to COVID and everyone being taking remote classes and all these classes being offered online, it kind of shifted my position to online programming and also um, recently ev- evolved into a more coordinated position. So I'm really happy to take that position and also like implement all the science we're learning about plastics and just provide it to the general audience. Could you further elaborate on like the dangers of plastic pollution and like the impact it has on like people and like animals and just like the environment in general? Absolutely. So we know that plastic is all around us. We literally can't go to any store without actually not being able to buy an object that doesn't come wrapped or bagged or even encased in plastic. So plastic is a growing issue and it has been a growing issue since it was created. We know that the plastics industry is heavily tied to the fossil fuel industry. So during our educational programs with students, we do talk about looking at the whole picture of plastics, including from the point of extraction, that is from extracting oil from our ground, the refinery process within these giant factories that also contribute to a lot of pollution with our environment and greenhouse gases. And so plastic has been a growing issue, not only within the United States, but also around the world. Plastic is still like a growing issue here and all around the world. And within the next 30 years, by 2050, we'll be seeing three times the amount of plastic out in the environment or in our landfills. Oh, wow. So, one of my, I'm curious to know, like, um, as you do your educational programs, you're you're enlightening people about the dangers of plastic, how much plastic is out there already, and kind of like where uh, plastic pollution is going. Are you able to give us a kind of like a visual or just a number of like how much plastic is maybe out there in California or like in the state? Okay, so I actually don't know the exact number. Sure, sure. Yeah. But I, I know that I think it's. Let me see. I should have this number in front of me. There is so much plastic in our oceans. There's actually more plastic in our oceans than there are stars in our galaxy. Just to give you kind of a a little bit of a a picture of how much plastic is actually in our oceans. And this is 
growing every single day and every single second, as we all know that most of the things we use, most of the things we buy are covered in plastic. And we don't really have a recycling technique for most of these plastics. And there are, there's actually more than one type of plastic, which presents a lot of issues in trying to recycle this material or also just try to clean it up from our, our environment, whether it be our oceans, here on land, or any aquatic or freshwater systems. Could you go into more on the specifics of the risk factors that are involved with plastics? Yeah, so when we talk about plastic, it's, it's, it's a bigger picture, right? So we think of plastic, but we never really think about where it comes from or where it ends up. Now, when we do tackle or look at this picture of, of plastic, we do have to look at it from really, really far away from the point of extraction. We know that a lot of these, a lot of low-income communities and people of color live right next to these extraction sites, especially in Los Angeles. A lot of the refinery plants are also located close to schools, neighborhoods, churches, and places where people work. So we have to talk about, when we talk about plastic, we have to talk about um, how it is produced, the emissions that come out of the production of plastic, and then we have the plastic product, right? We have seven different kinds of plastics. Depending on where you live, some of these plastics are recyclable and some of them aren't. Some of these plastics are even toxic to your health and shouldn't be accompanied with hot food or hot water or shouldn't even be close to our bodies because of the chemicals that they do leach off. And then we also have the final product of plastic, right? We've been taught that most plastics you could just throw in the recycling bin and just kind of out of sight, out of mind. But now we know that actually less than 9% of all the plastics that have ever been produced have been recycled appropriately. Any other plastic that hasn't been recycled properly ends up in our landfills, or in our natural environment like the oceans, which breaks into smaller and smaller plastics the longer it stays underneath the sun, in different environments, just causing tremendous amount of problems for many animals and many communities around the world. So I was just wondering, you might not have an answer to this, but it's a hypothetical situation in the event that plastics were never a thing and we lived in a plastic-free world. What do you think that world may look like or how would it differ from what we experience today? Absolutely. So that's a very that's a very interesting question, right? Like when we think about our planet without plastic, that's almost in, impossible to think about at this at this time and era, especially during COVID. But we do have to think about that plastics haven't been around as long as we've been around. So we've been able to navigate all these different issues with different kinds of natural resources and natural products, organic products that have been able to serve us for a very, very long time. It wasn't until the late 40s and the 50s where plastics started being introduced to the commercial market as a good that you could just throw away. For the housewives at the time um, at home, they wouldn't have to clean their dishes. They could just throw it away and have more time to um, tidy up the house, which is crazy even think about now how far we've come, right? We know that plastics are not just something you can get rid of because some of these plastics take longer than 600 years to decompose or even a thousand years. And some of these plastics don't decompose at all. They just kind of break into smaller and smaller pieces. So a world without plastics. And one thing that I do try to convey to the students within my classes is that it is really hard to picture a world without plastics, but there are ways. I know we have tremendous amount of factories all over the world and most of their products are shipped commercially to different places around the world. And in order to get those products to different countries, communities, cities, they have to be wrapped in plastic. Now, maybe 
And I don't know this is, if this is the proper uh, solution for this, but maybe those giant factories don't have to exist in just one specific area, right? We could have local, smaller factories that contribute a lot less pollution, but also deliver these kinds of products without their plastic packaging and allow these products to also be a lot more fresh and safer for communities of people. Yeah, no, that's all really interesting. Maybe I should go back a little bit into Five Jars and like the organization that you're part of. So is there any specific project that you've been a part of that you're proud of or like what have you accomplished with Five Jars? Yeah, so with Five Jars, the thing we try to strive for is using reusable and renewable products. That is our main focus for our education programs and our, our organization. One of the things that I have been really excited for and that I really hold near and dear to my heart is actually Trash Academy. And Trash Academy, I know it sounds a little funny, but it is an educational program for students to actually learn, learn more about the plastics they are using. Our video series that you could find on YouTube talks about the history of plastics, who invented them, why they were invented, and how they became the miracle or nightmare product they are today. We also talk about the life cycle of plastic, where they come from, where they end up, and also how to distinguish different types of plastic. We've been taught that the recycling, chasing arrow signs is just the sign for recyclability, right? But now we know that some of these plastics do have different numbers inside the recycling chasing arrow signs, which definitely changes how these plastics are recyclable, if they're recyclable, where they end up, or how their chemical composition actually affects our human health. So are there any hands-on experiences that students are able to have, like going to ocean cleanups or anything of that nature? Yeah, with COVID, it's been a little tough. I really wish we could go on more field trips or hands-on learning experiences, but we do try to incorporate that in our lessons. We just started our enrichment courses and our spring course with LEUSD, and it's a combination of live in-person classes and also asynchronous lessons. So they, the students and the teachers do get materials where they could work together to actually learn more about plastics and perform different activities. Some of the activities do tie into the life cycle of plastics. One example is for lesson two, which is the life cycle of plastics. We have kids actually do a little drawing activity where they bring out some paper, some color pencils and some markers, and they actually go and actually try to draw out the process of the extraction of oil from deep inside of our planet to the refinery plants, and then from the refinery plants to the plastic products, and then from the plastic products to local commercial markets and then into their homes and then the different places where all these different plastics end up. And now we know that it's in landfills, recycling centers, or in our oceans. Yeah, so when I was browsing your website, I saw that one of the issues you deal with is plastic smog. And I was wondering if this was one of the lessons that you cover in Trash Academy and if you could elaborate more on what plastic smog is. Yeah, so um, I'm sure you've all heard about this giant island the size of Texas out in our Pacific Ocean that keeps growing more and more and more. And actually our science program has actually visit, visited five gyres, which is the name of our organization, but the different gyres that are found throughout our, our planet and have collected different samples, whether it be water samples, sediment samples, or even different organisms that are found within that specific region. 
and seeing how plastic is actually associated within the water column, different species, or what kind of plastics are found in within that specific area. And also how they got there, right? They didn't just come from thin air, they actually came from giant cities or neighboring countries. Yeah, so that island that, that is the size of Texas is not really an island. So when I think of an island, I like to think of somewhere I could stand on, right? But this plastic pollution that is found in our oceans, especially in our gyres, is more like a cloud. Some, sometimes when we go outside, we see some clouds. Sometimes we see no clouds. Sometimes we see a lot of clouds. And sometimes we just see a little bit, right? And we know that if anyone has ever been to a pool party and probably had the like plastic toys or items with, within that pool, you might realize that some of those plastics float, some of those plastics sink, and some of those kind of stay stationary within the water column, almost like a fish. So this giant island that's the size of Texas is more like a cloud. It's always changing. It's always changing in size. Sometimes it's there, sometimes it's not. So we like to actually call this plastic island more of like plastic smog as it's always changing. Sometimes it's visible. There's been cases where boats go into a gyre or where they expect to find this trash, island of trash, but they don't find anything because it's not so easily visible from the surface than it is from the bottom um, because different concentrations of plastics do occur at different times. We also know that plastics break into smaller and smaller pieces. So depending on when you're there or how many plastics are within that specific region at the time, you might be able to see some plastic pollution, you might not. But if you were to look deep inside these giant vortexes that collect all the plastic from our cities, you would see that this is where most of our plastic is ending up and it's ending up in the food chains in our marine environment. Okay, so you mentioned gyre and I want, I don't know about um, the listeners, but for me, gyre was a new word and it's G-Y-R-E. So if you could just explain, you know, what a gyre is. So a gyre is created by the movement of our planet. We know that our rotation of our planet, of planet Earth, is always contributes to weather pa- patterns, and the the movement also relates to movement of water on the surface. Right? There's drag, and there's a lot of different components to actually having different weather patterns and water circulating in a certain way. Now we also know that at the top of our planet and at the bottom, at the poles, it is really really cold, and we do have really cold water. And as our planet moves, it also does mix with the water found at the equator, which is a lot warmer. And this also creates this giant swirling, almost like, I like to tell kids that it's almost like a, a sink, right? When, when you unplug the sink, most of the water goes down, but you can start to see the swirling action where different objects start to collect at the surface. So this does happen in our oceans, but with the combination of currents and wind, it starts to create all these weather patterns and different currents that at some point connect to each other and form these giant spirals called gyres. And this is where we find most of our plastic pollution that comes from land. So most of the plastic is found in gyres and most of it comes from land. Or is the plastic that comes from land mostly just from cities and people just throwing away plastic or are there other factors that contribute to like the plastic pollution that's found? Talking about plastic is a little difficult because it's not just the marine environment, right? We sometimes like to think that it's only in the beaches, it's only in the ocean, it's solely in these gyres, but in reality, plastic is all around us. We find it in our stores, in our cities. The biggest problem are single-use plastics. We know that these are the plastics that we only use for mere seconds or sometimes even minutes until we throw it away and it gets discarded for a very, very long time. We do have to think about different plastics that end up 
not only in our marine environment, but also on land. When we think about our sewer system or our drainage pipes, a lot of those storm drains that we find are located around our cities and our streets, we know that when it rains, a lot of plastic pollution or plastic items actually enter those storm drains. And we know that that water is not filtered, it is not cleaned, and it ends up directly in our oceans or nearby body of water. A lot of the water that we actually flush down our toilet or our sinks or our bathroom, that water is taken to a waste treatment plant. And it, is, it goes through certain chemical processes and biological processes, processes to actually clean that water one of the residues that actually comes out of that is actually this sludge. So think about all the contaminants that you take out of the water and it forms almost like a giant sludge putty. That goes through another refinery process. And then this is what is used for agricultural fertilizers uh, in different places. And we know that a lot of those different plastics that come from our sinks or our bathrooms enter our soils and our natural environment through this sludge because it is the remnants of all these different plastics that are found in the sludge that have been introduced to many agricultural fields through human fertilizers. Yeah, so you've mentioned that plastics manage to get into our natural soil and water. So what are your thoughts on why plastic is a social justice issue? As I can imagine, it can probably end up in our tap water or like the water we drink. Absolutely. So we know that a lot of the places where we find these extraction sites or refinery plants are located in low-income communities or communities where you find marginalized people. There are various groups within Los Angeles that have been tremendously, tremendously affected. One of the things that we're actually working on for season two of Trash Academy is bringing on one of these students that used to live right across from um, an oil extraction site, which developed different health issues. And she will be talking with our students, giving them a very personal story about how her life was deeply affected by these giant companies that don't really have regulations for most of the products they actually produce or even emit into our atmosphere. So this is something that really does have to be talked about because it is these communities that are living right next to them or even have them as neighbors that are being deeply affected um, and their futures are also being deeply affected because it also connects to reproductive issues. A lot of these different plastics have even been found in our air. Um, it, there's a study that was published a few years back that said that um, whether it be through our air ingestion, that we actually eat a credit card's worth of plastic every week. So this is something that we are kind of shocked but shouldn't be surprised to hear because, uh, because of the amount of plastic that we're surrounded by and the amount of contamination that comes from these giant factories that are producing all this plastic. So yeah, I'm shocked by that. I thought you were gonna say like every year and you said every week, I'm like, what? Um, and that's something that I almost can't control. So, you know, it's in the air, you know, I can't, you know, I don't know that it's in the air. And so on that note, just with talking about how plastic pollution is somewhat of a social justice issue, how does Five Gyres kind of work with different companies to um, at least just make that number go down, you know, or at least like, I know there's educational programs, um, but like, is there another um, arm that works to kind of pass some, help pass laws or just kind of work with the companies who are making this more of an issue? 
Yeah, so right now we're currently working with a couple of other organizations that are tackling plastic. So we're part of a Break Free From Plastics youth group where we all get together and we talk about different strategies um, for current or future projects. One of the things that we do work on is policy. So we, we, try, we try to work on different policy measures and we're currently working on document to actually present to Biden to um, tackle the plastics industry and actually tackle this whole fossil fuel industry and actually make the switch to renewable energy and renewable products that are a lot more friendly to our ecosystem and also to all these communities that are living right next to these toxic and poisonous plants. And that's amazing. Yeah, I think I saw the thing you guys were doing with Biden with that. That's awesome. We're, we're hoping we're hoping there's a, a switch in <laughs> with the current administration. So yeah, we're going to stay on tabs with you guys and may invite you back. You guys have a lot of good information. We didn't really go in depth, but I'd like to go more in depth with this because this is actually like um, a pressing issue to me. Absolutely. And, and something that we're going to be learning more and more about all these are issues that are emerging. There's more studies out there that are focusing on microplastics because we know that all plastics eventually break down into smaller and smaller pieces. And these are the plastics that are the most concerning at the moment because they are impacting not only us, but every organism, especially the smallest organism and how it travels from species to organism and throughout the food web. Just a side note, I was looking at like a the chip bag, like a potato chip bag, I, I didn't know that they weren't recyclable. So there's like so many potato chip bags we just throw away and there's no way you can recycle it at all. Um, you might can make it into like a tote bag or something, but I mean, who, who does that all the time? So I thought that was kind of like crazy. Um, and like, I, I don't know, like they're making, like they're trying to make like new plastics, but it's going to take time. And so it's just like, we're still manufacturing chip bags along with all the other plastics. So it's like, what is this going to look like in the years to come? Yeah, we know that a lot of a lot of um, industries do not want to make the switch. They don't they don't find it beneficial to them at all. And yeah, plastic chip bags are they I, I think they have several layers of plastic. So that's why it makes them hard to like. Yeah, four layers of plastic. So um, they're really hard to recycle. And I actually I feel your pain in this because I have been wanting to buy chips for quite some time and I kind of gave them up. But um, yeah, it's one of those issues that, that we do have to talk about, like the packaging for a lot of these items is a growing issue and it doesn't seem to be going away. And also this whole new journey about bioplastics, right? Biodegradable plastics, which um, is still being heavily studied because we know that different plastics behave very differently in different environments or, and, and conditions. So are they really biodegradable um, in one environment or are they not, um, and if they are, are they also biodegradable if we were to completely change the environment, um, would they also have the same effect there or, and, or would they still persist within that environment? When we, when we think of bioplastics, we, we think as this could be the possible solution to end um, the plastics that we're currently using, right? But um, there is big talk about if we make the switch to bioplastics, which we know isn't really the solution because these plastics don't degrade as we expect them to, um, people are still gonna be consuming plastic at the same amounts as we currently are. Factories are probably gonna rev up their production of all these bioplastics because they know that consumers can be interested in buying eco-friendly products that would disappear. But in reality, we know that these many of these bioproducts take a very long time and they don't actually decompose the way we expect them to. 
So in your opinion, what is something that we as individuals can do to help curb the dangers and effects that come with plastic pollution? Like in our day to day, something that we can implement, like for me, um, I just try to reuse my plastic bags or like, you know, I actually, when you got on the call, I was like, I had a plastic bottle and was a little embarrassed. So I took a plastic <laughs> bottle and I, I got a glass bottle and I got You're a gonna glass. switch it out for glass real quick. <laughs> not with Alicia, I will not. <laughs> And um, yeah, so like everyday little things that, you know, we can just kind of think about and kind of implement and just just be a little bit better about, you know, the plastic situation that's going on. Absolutely. So I myself, I'm also guilty of using plastic, right? Um, even on this, during this interview, I'm using a microphone, I'm using my mouse, my computer, and all this also has plastic attached to it. Most of the food I buy, I comes in like almost like yogurt does come in a, a plastic container, but it's not to say that I cannot, uh, that I don't have the ability to make my own yogurt, right? And these are avenues that we probably do have to explore. I, um, last year during quarantine, I started gardening and now I have a fully functioning garden where it's like tomatoes, squash, and different kinds of fruits and veggies that literally pop out of the ground and they don't need any plastic packaging or any preservatives or anything like that. And they're safe and easy to use. Now, this can't be done everywhere, right? But it's also taking that mentality that we can make the switch to reusable and renewable products. It might not look like the current world we're, we're in right now, but it's not to say that we don't have the ability to make a greener and safer future for not for uh, for us and for everyone else. I think that's totally possible. And I think it's starting the conversation about making these giant companies, which are the main contributors to the plastic pollution and having them change their products to make them eco-friendly and biodegradable, um, where we know that 100% of their products will be fully returned to a, a natural and safe state for our, our planet. Yeah, definitely. And just to wrap things up a little bit, what is one key takeaway or a message that you want to resonate with anyone that listens to this conversation? So plastic is all around us, right? And we do have to take the small steps to reduce the amount of plastic we consume and the amount of plastic we produce. But when you look at plastic, um, think about the whole story of plastic, where it came from. And you may not be living right next to one of these production sites, but there are many communities that can't get away, can't move because they don't have the financial resources or the ability or time to actually make the switch to a safer area that is that won't poison them. But it's also like what happens to those plastic products? The more we learn about plastics, the more we know that this is a really toxic and awful way to use a product that doesn't disappear or doesn't biodegrade it's persists in our environment for a very long time. And that plastic bottle that you're probably using probably won't get recycled and it'll probably stay on this planet for a way longer amount of time than any of us on this interview would. We're gonna be hearing a lot more about what happens in the next few months and maybe we'll see a change in how we handle plastics or what plastics are around in the next few months. So fingers crossed. <laughs> exactly, and so let our listeners know where they can find you, Five and Five Gyres, where they can interact with you all. And if they want to reach out, what, where can they go? 
Yeah, so you could go to our main website, which is fivejars.org. Um, you could find tremendous amounts of information there. We could find a research hub where we have a collection of different papers that talk about plastics, its production, its effects on humans and organisms and communities all around the world. This is where you could find a, a link to our YouTube channel where you will find our education programs that we provide to school districts um, along around Los Angeles or La Academia Basura. You could also find our lessons in Spanish if that it's helpful for anyone. And all these are resources that are available for anyone who would like to learn a little bit more about the plastics they're using and the small actions that they, they could actually take to eliminate plastic use and plastic consumption within their local or regional area. Yeah, and if you're in the Los Angeles area, definitely recommend going to check out Five Jars and seeing how you can get involved and how you can help. Even if you're not in the Los Angeles area, there's many ways that you can help. And yeah, thank you so much, Eliseo, for coming to talk with us. We really enjoyed having you. Thank you so much, Kate and Jasmine. It's been a pleasure. And yeah, I look forward to speaking soon. <laughs> hey, all. Thanks again for listening to today's episode. Please feel free to check out and utilize the resources provided by Eliseo and Five Gyres and to stay connected with them at their listed socials and website. In terms of Tiny Green Chats, we release a new episode every Thursday for Tiny Chat Thursdays at 12pm Eastern Standard Time. So follow us, subscribe, and turn on the notification bell to stay updated with the latest news and information regarding the environment. We are at Tiny Green Chat, no S on Instagram, and at Tiny Green Chats everywhere else. Please feel free to email tinygreenchats at gmail.com with any questions or inquiries. Thanks again and see you next time.